This is John DeFalb from John Sandow's bookshop in Chelsea, London, bringing to your lockdown another dose of readings from P.G. Woodhouse. This week's texts are taken from a pelican at Blandings, and we begin not in the conventional way at the beginning, but a few pages in with the unexpected arrival of Lady Constance at Blandings. Her brother, Lord Emsworth, had been under the impression that her absence from his life was secure since her marriage to the American fellow James Schoonmaker. Precisely as stated, Lady Constance was in the amber drawing room, sipping sherry and looking as formidable and handsome as ever. All Lord Emsworth's sisters were constructed on the lines of the severer type of Greek goddess, except Hermione, who looked like a cook, and Connie, in particular, was remarkable for aristocratic hauteur and forcefulness of eye. One felt immediately on seeing her that there stood the daughter of a hundred earls, just as when confronted with Lord Emsworth, one had the impression that one had encountered the son of a hundred tramp cyclists. He was wearing at the moment patched flannel trousers, a ragged shirt, a shooting coat with holes in the elbows, and bedroom slippers. These, of course, in addition to the apprehensive look always worn by him when entering this formidable woman's presence. From childhood onward, she had always dominated him, as she would have dominated Napoleon, Attila the Hun, and an all-in-wrestling champion. Oh, there you are, Clarence, she said, and her eye told him more plainly than words could have done that he had failed to satisfy her fastidious taste in the matter of dress. I want you to meet my friend Vanessa Polk, who was so kind to me on the boat. This is my brother Clarence, Vanessa, said Lady Constance, with that touch of the apologetic which always came into her voice when she introduced him to visitors. Don't go blaming me, it seemed to say. It's not my fault. Looking at Vanessa Polk, one could readily imagine her being kind to people, whether on or off ocean liners, for her warmth and geniality were obvious at a glance where Lady Constance had winced at the sight of Lord Emsworth like a Greek goddess finding a caterpillar in her salad, she smiled upon him as if their meeting was something to which she had been looking forward for years. It was a wide, charming smile, and it brought about a marked improvement in his morale. He felt, as so many people did when smiled upon by Vanessa Polk, that he had found a friend. How do you do? he said, with a cordiality of which a short while before he would not have been capable. Then, remembering a good one, he added, Welcome to Blanding's Castle. Tomorrow, he said, I must show you my pig. It was not an invitation he often extended to female visitors, for experience had taught him that the Empress was wasted on their shallow minds, but here he saw was one worthy of the privilege. Are you fond of pigs? Miss Polk said she had not met many socially, but had got along fine with those which had come her way. Never an angry word. Was this, she asked, kind of a special sort of pig, and Lord Emsworth answered eagerly in the affirmative. Empress of Blandings, he said proudly. 
has won the silver medal three years in succession in the Fat Pigs event at the Shropshire Agricultural Show. You're kidding. Oh, I can show you the medals. It was an unparalleled feat. And to what did she owe her success? A careful feeding. I thought as much. Some pigs owners are guided by other authorities, and for all I know, said Lord Emsworth generously, get quite good results. But I have always pinned my faith on Wolf Lehman. According to the Wolf Lehman feeding standards, a pig must consume daily nourishment amounting to 57,000 calories. Proteins, 4 pounds, 5 ounces. Carbohydrates, 25 pounds. Exclusive, of course, of the last thing at night raid on the icebox. These calories consist of barley meal, maize meal, linseed meal, and separated buttermilk. I occasionally add, on my own initiative, a banana or a potato. One of those short, sharp, steely coughs proceeded from Lady Constance. It stopped Lord Emsworth like a bullet. He was not a very perceptive man, but he understood that he was expected to change the subject. Regretfully, but with the docility of a well-trained brother, he did so. Oh, bless my soul, Connie, he said with as much heartiness as he could manage on the spur of the moment. This is certainly a surprise, your being here, I mean. Quite a surprise, quite a surprise. This time, the sound emitted by his sister was not like the previous one, bronchial, but resembled more that made by drawing a wet thumb across a hot stove lid. I don't know why it should be, she said tartly. You got my letter saying I was sailing. Lord Emsworth had not gulped since coming into the room, but he did so now, and with good reason. He had an odd sensation of having been slapped in the face with a wet fish. He was guiltily conscious that the communication she referred to had been lying unopened for some two weeks in a drawer of the desk in his study. Now that he was alone without a secretary to pester him and make him observe the ordinary decencies of life, he seldom opened letters if they were not from the Shropshire, Herefordshire and South Wales Pig Breeders Association. Ah, uh, uh, yes, of course, certainly. Your, your, your letter say, saying that you were sailing, yes, quite. To refresh your memory, I said in it that I was coming to spend the summer at Blandings. The faint hope Lord Emsworth had had that she might be just passing through on her way to join Dora or Charlotte or Julia at one of those continental resorts of theirs choked and died. And that James will be here soon. He has been delayed in New York by an important business deal. The words, who is James, started to frame themselves on Lord Emsworth's lips, but fortunately before he could utter them, she had gone on to another subject. Whose hat is that? Lord Emsworth could not follow her. She seemed to be asking whose hat that was, and he found the question cryptic. Hat? he said, puzzled. Hat? When you say Hat? Do, do you mean hat? What, what hat? I noticed a hat in the hall, much too good to be yours. Is someone staying here? Oh, 
Ah, yes, said Lord Emsworth, enlightened. A fellow, can't think of his name now. Gooch, was it? Cooper? Finsbury? Bateman? Mary? Weather? No, it's gone. Frederick sent him with a letter of introduction. Been here some days. He has several hats. Oh, I see. I thought for a moment it might be Alaric, the Duke of Dunstable, an old friend of mine, Lady Constance explained to Miss Polk. I do not see as much of him as I should like as he lives in Wiltshire, but he comes here as often as he can manage. A little more sherry, Vanessa? No? Then I will show you your room. It is up near the portrait gallery, which you must see as soon as you are settled. Be careful of the stairs. The polished oak is rather slippery. Lord Emsworth returned to the library. He should have been feeling in uplifted mood, for he had certainly been lucky in that matter of the letter. Connie might quite easily have probed and questioned until the awful truth was revealed, and at the thought of what the harvest would then have been, his blood froze. For far less serious offences, he had often been talked at for days. Her comments on that paper fastener in his shirt front had run to several thousand words, and even then she had seemed to feel that only the fringe of the subject had been touched on. But what she had said about thinking that the Duke of Dunstable might be staying at the castle had shaken him. It seemed to him ominous. The hour that had produced her, he felt, might take it into its head to round the thing off by producing the Duke as well. Morbid? Perhaps so, but it was a possibility that could not be overlooked. He knew that she had an inexplicable affection for the fellow, and there was no telling to what lengths this might lead her. Many people are fond of dukes and place no obstacle in the way of the latter wish to fraternise with them, but few of those acquainted with Alaric, Duke of Dunstable, sought his society, Lord Emsworth least of all. He was an opinionated, arbitrary, autocratic man with an unpleasantly loud voice, bulging eyes, and a walrus moustache which he was always blowing at and causing to leap like a rocketing pheasant and he had never failed to affect Lord Emsworth unfavourably. Galahad, with his gift for the telling phrase, generally referred to the Duke as that stinker, and there was no question in Lord Emsworth's mind that he had hit on the right label. So he sat in the library with his pig book, feeling uneasy. For the first time in his experience, its perfect prose failed to grip him. It is possible that solitude and a further go at the pig book might eventually have soothed him, but at this moment the solitude was invaded and the book sent fluttering to the floor. Lady Constance was standing in the doorway, and one look at her told him that trouble was about to raise its ugly head. Well, really, Clarence! He wilted beneath her glare. Galahad, similarly situated, would have met it with a defiant, Well, really, what? But he lacked that great man's fortitude. Those trousers, that coat, those slippers. I can't imagine what Vanessa Polk must have thought of you. I suppose she was wondering what a tramp was doing in the drawing room, and I had to say, this is my brother Clarence. I have never felt so embarrassed. Sometimes in these crises, Lord Emsworth had found that it was possible to divert her thoughts from the item uppermost on the agenda paper, by turning the conversation to other topics. 
he endeavoured to do so now. A poke, he said. That's a very peculiar name, isn't it? I remember noticing when I was over in America for your wedding how, how odd some of the names were that people had. Neptune was one of them. So was Stottlemeyer. And a colleague of Frederick's at that dog biscuit concern of his was a Bream Rockmateller. Curious, it struck me as. Clarence! Not that we don't have some remarkable names over here. I was reading my debrett the other day, and I came on a chap called Lord Orrery and Cork. I wondered how you would address him if you met. One's natural impulse would be to say, how do you do, Lord Orrery? But if you did, wouldn't he draw himself up rather stiffly and say, and Cork? You'd have to apologise. Clarence! That fellow Neptune, by the way, was the head of a company that manufactures potato chips, those little curly things you eat at cocktail parties. I met him at a cocktail party Frederick took me to, and we got into conversation, and he happened to mention that his firm had made the very potato chips we were eating. I said it was a small world, and he agreed. Sure, he said, it's a very small world, no argument about that. And we had some more potato chips. He said the great thing about being in the potato chip business was that nobody could eat just one potato chip, which of course was very good for the sales. What he meant was once that you've started, you haven't the strength of mind to stop, and you've got to go on. First one potato chip, and then another potato chip, and then... Clarence, said Lady Constance, stop babbling! He did, as directed. And there was silence while she paused to select for utterance one of the three devastating remarks which had come into her mind simultaneously. It was as she stood wavering between them that the telephone rang. Had he been alone, Lord Emsworth would have let it ring till it became exhausted, for his views on answering telephones were identical with those he held on reading letters not from the Shropshire, Herefordshire and South Wales Pig Breeders Association. But Lady Constance, like all women, was incapable of this dignified attitude. She hurried to the instrument, and he was at liberty to devote himself to thoughts of names and potato chips. But even as he started to do so, he was jerked from his meditation by the utterance of a single word. It was the word, Alaric, and it froze him from bald head to the soles of the bedroom slippers on which Lady Constance, a moment before the bell rang, had been about to comment. He feared the worst. It happened. Five minutes later, Lady Constance came away from the telephone. And that was Alaric, she said. He's had a fire at his place, and he's coming here till everything is all right again. He says he wants the garden suite, so I had better be going and seeing that it is just as he likes it. He's coming by the early train tomorrow with his niece. She left the room and Lord Emsworth sank back in his chair, looking like the good old man in some melodrama of Victorian days whose mortgage the villain has just foreclosed. He felt none of the gentle glow which he was accustomed to feel when one of his sisters removed herself from his presence. 
The thought of a Blandings castle infested not only by Connie, but also by the Duke of Dunstable and his niece, probably if she was anything like her uncle, one of those brassy-voiced domineering girls who always terrified him so much, left him as filleted as the Dover soul he had enjoyed at breakfast. He sat there for several minutes, motionless. But though his limbs were inert, his brain was working with a speed which so often accompanies the imminence of peril. He saw that he was faced with a situation impossible for him to handle alone. He needed an ally who would give him moral support. And it was not long before he realised that there was only one man who could fill this position. He went to the telephone and called a London number. And after what seemed to him an eternity, a cheery voice spoke at the other end of the wire. Hello? Oh, Galahad, Lord Emsworth bleated. This is Clarence. A most terrible thing has happened to Galahad. Oh, Connie's back.